Well, welcome back to our study in the book of James, ladies. Today we'll be in James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. And I've titled this lesson, Day 11, Strengthen Your Heart. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to James chapter 5, starting in verse 7, going through verse 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who have remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So yesterday we saw James warn of a specific sin issue regarding wealth, and he ended that thought with a reminder. There is a day coming when those sins will be dealt with. The Lord of hosts, a description of God that includes wielding a sword of justice, will come to deal with those sins. And now James continues that thought, addressing other implications of the coming of the Lord. First, James encourages them to be patient. Be patient until he comes. His coming is sure, but the timing for us is not on the calendar. So, be patient. The analogy he gives is an apt one. The farmer knows that the crop is coming, but it will be harvested at a specific time. You can't just go to the field the day after you sow the seed and find the crop there. You have to wait through the early rains and the late rains at both ends of the growing season before you can harvest the fruit. There is work to be done, but the harvest is coming. As believers, the harvest is coming and our reward is coming also. The farmer waits through all the seasons with eager anticipation and confidence that the ground is going to give up the fruit. As believers, we can have the same kind of confidence and eager anticipation that God is still faithful and what he has said will happen will indeed happen. So establish your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Professing believers may be shown to be false if they do not strengthen their hearts and demonstrate genuine faith by bearing fruit themselves. Again, there is work to be done. Be grounded. Don't be double-minded like we saw back in chapter 1. And, while you are being patient, don't grumble against each other among the bodies so that you may not be judged, because the real judge is standing at the door. One of the worst sins of the Israelites in the Old Testament was their grumbling against the Lord. Grumbling against the Lord has all kinds of implications. Things like, grumbling against God suggests that you have been wronged by God somehow. That God has committed evil against you. That you have an actual complaint against God, etc. But grumbling is really a heart condition where we think that we deserve better than what we've been given. The implication is that the grumbling is inappropriate and misplaced, that there has been no wrong done. But when it relates to our brothers and sisters in Christ and we grumble against them for perceived slights, and we harbor those feelings and then let that grumbling heart grow bitter, we're poisoning not just ourselves, we're also poisoning the body with our grumbling attitudes. 
the warning that the one who grumbles against his brother will be judged, tells us that this grumbling is wrong. Again, we do have in Scripture directions on how to handle actual sin within the members of God's people. We have instructions on confronting each other, on showing each other our faults with love, on dealing with conflict. Grumbling about the party in error is never part of that equation. Never. So even if there is a potential just cause, grumbling has no place. James calls the reader to a high standard of thinking and acting, and he reminds them of the prophets of God who were charged with speaking in the name of the Lord. And the prophets endured so much suffering. If you think you, think you are being asked to do too much, to suffer too much, to endure too much, consider what others who came before you went through, who clung steadfastly to the Lord, and we see the blessing that we receive because of their faithfulness, and we know the reward they have is great. Job is just one great example of suffering and patience, and we see ultimately in Job that God is not capricious. He's not allowing suffering for his own entertainment. God is merciful and compassionate, and he does care for Job. And Job is restored at the end of that book, never knowing the answers to his questions, but still knowing who God is. In the same way, God is merciful and compassionate on us as well, ladies. His love for you reached all the way to the cross and beyond. No matter what you are suffering today, remember, as Charles Spurgeon said, remember this, had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. Whatever is going on today, divine love has allowed this to happen. You can trust him to provide what you need in your circumstance as well. Then he inserts this warning that seems like a non sequitur. How is this related to the rest of this section? Well, let's look at the warning. The warning is to watch your vows. Now again, remember in chapter 4, James warned the reader about making plans and going forward without God. He warned them not to assume they knew the future, but to hold all their plans loosely and know that God is the one who may change all their plans because he is ultimately in control. Well, now he warns them to be careful about the vows they make. And what is a vow? A vow is a promise, but it's more than that. It is the way in which men would demonstrate their sincerity to keep the promise they made. They would swear by something greater than themselves, basically appealing to that greater item as a witness to their vow. Now really, only God can be everywhere at once and know everything at once, so he alone is the only true arbiter of vows. To swear then upon anything else, to call upon the witness, so to speak, of the heavens or the earth, is basically rejecting God in favor of that which he created. Just and godly vows are not prohibited in Scripture. They actually are a vital part of godly covenants. Think about marriage vows. They are vows taken between two people with God as the witness to keep them. Those vows are important. But in Scripture, there are three kinds of vows that are prohibited. Vows to commit a sin, duh. Vows sworn in the name of anyone besides the Lord, and vows that one doesn't intend to keep. You can find those restrictions in Numbers chapter 30 and in Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23. James warns the people to stop taking vows, swearing by either heaven or earth. He's warning them to make sure their words are trustworthy and sincere, and he's encouraging them to think about their words, not just throw them out there. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no, period. No qualifying terms, no percentages, no loopholes, nothing. Just keep your word. So this section summed up, be patient. The coming of the Lord is real and may happen at any time. Don't get caught in side issues and sinfully grumble against your brothers and sisters in Christ. Knowing that he has called you to endure for a little while, endure and be careful about any vows that you enter into, keeping your word trustworthy in all things so that your vows are that much more trustworthy. Really, the priority we see here is one of holiness, godliness, and consistent covenant keeping as we are being sanctified. The issue of condemnation is a serious one. It's a call to bear godly fruit in keeping with repentance, to persevere through trials, and to honor God in all that you do. So questions for us today, ladies. How are you doing at persevering patiently? Are you eagerly anticipating that which is to come? Are you eagerly waiting for the day of His coming? Are you preparing yourself now, guarding your heart and growing and bearing fruit for Him? Are you grumbling against others, especially believers? If you are, how do you need to address that situation in a way that honors God and resolves any conflict? Do you need to just let it go, or does it need to be addressed? Remember, your tongue can be the spark of a fire, but you can also restrain it like the bit in the mouth of a horse restrains that horse. How trustworthy are you? Is your yes truly a yes, and your no truly a no? How are you enduring the trials in your life? Are you steadfast, remembering His mercy and compassion? Or is your heart grumbling over the trials you have to face? suggesting that God is not fair in allowing you to endure things. Guard your heart, ladies, and ask God to help you to continue to grow in your sanctification so that you may not fall under condemnation. Ladies, you'll find the notes for the study under the Bible Studies tab of the website naomistable.com, day 11. Strengthen your heart.